Welcome back to the Coach and Kernan Show. This is Real Voices of the Game, and I'm Dave D'Agostino here with my Hall of Fame co-host, Kevin Kernan. This is episode 75, and we are here today with Ryan Ripken, former minor league baseball player, top draft choice for both Washington and Baltimore, I believe. Had multiple years as a minor league player, recently retired and now into a new venture. We're going to get into all of that. Um, Ryan's an inch has an interesting background, both as a player and now as a, uh, in the media in, in some capacity and, and really moving on with a great career there. Um, but before we get to Ryan, Kevin, I, I want to compliment you again on, uh, great articles this week and, uh, really digging into the world series and pointing out some things that should give your audience and our audience, uh, a better baseball IQ. Yeah, Dave, it's called, I did an article called uh, speaking baseball for ball nine and, um, I just let it fly because, you know, I've been around forever. I've been to a million World Series and and watching uh, the Phillies throughout the playoffs. Um, game one, obviously. Rob Thompson, I've known Rob for, you know, he was with the Yankees for 28 years. He was right under the Yankees' nose and they didn't hire him. That's another story. But, but he was always my go-to guy with the Yankees when I needed something technically explained. You know, like I said, people know I played in college and all that stuff, but Still, as, as a writer, you see, you run into a million things. So Rob was always there to explain things. He ran the organization. He was unbelievable. Joe Torrey loved him. And um, he's doing these things for the Phillies now. And, and it's real simple. He's just speaking baseball, kind of like what we do on our podcast. And the players relate to that. And I hope it opens up a, a, a new, new slash old world for baseball. But I got some unbelievable response because a lot of baseball people read me and they send me texts, and I can't repeat their names because they, they have jobs where they get in trouble if they if people if the nerds knew they were basically agreeing with me about how the nerds are running baseball. So uh, so it's a, it was a good story to do. Still coming up with ideas. Got some um, got some other ones in the hopper, and we'll go from there. Yeah, no, it's always great, and uh, your audience is very loyal, and it's because you provide them consistency both in voice here and in writing. Uh, for, for decades. So we, we appreciate that as well. And baseball is a copycat world sports is. So hopefully people start copycatting Rob Thompson a little bit in what he's doing with the Phillies. Um, n- now for our guest today, uh, very, very excited to have what I consider to be a part of baseball royalty. And Ryan is making his own way. Uh, we have Ryan Ripken on the show today, making his own way in baseball, had a tremendous minor league career, uh, now is venturing into the sports media realm. Uh, not in the traditional way we think just in baseball, but, but out there in a number of different sports and capacities. Ryan, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you today. Oh, uh, glad to be here. I know we've been had this in the works and, and I'm finally uh, grateful to be able to come on and, and talk some, uh, some baseball with you guys. Yeah, we're glad to have you because you'll have, I mean, obviously you have a unique perspective, both uh, being a Ripken, growing up a, a Ripken and, and playing in the minors, with that, with that last name. And also now, like I said, making your own way in sports and you have your own unique perspective on it. But I want to kind of start, uh, I guess, with a broad question and it'll, it'll take us in, a, could take us in a number of different directions, but um, the, the phrase, the Ripken way is out there. You know, obviously your dad is Cal Ripken, uncle Billy, uh, grandfather, Cal senior. Um, a lot's been done to help the youth in baseball today with you know, the Ripken experience. In your opinion, now you grew up obviously in a different capacity with it. Uh, what is the Ripken way to you? Well, you know, it, it's interesting and it's it's flattering where you go to so many places and people will still bring that up to me. You know, 
love the Ripken way and, and a lot of it goes around baseball, but honestly, we try to just embody it with our everyday work. And, you know, for, for those that don't know with the whole Ripken way phrase was through Cal senior, you know, and he was a great coach and mentor for so many years with the Orioles organization. And that trickled down then into, you know, my, my dad and uncle and the rest of the family, but really it's more of a mindset trying to do the little things right, working hard and, you know, perfect practice makes perfect. No one is going to be perfect, but you have to go and put in the work, be very technical and work on the fundamentals. And whether that's in baseball or anything in your life, that just became more of a mindset than just a way of playing the game. No, I, I like that. And I would assume we, we have a big audience of kids out there. We're in 42 countries right now. We hit this grassroots all the way to major league front offices. So you're, when you're addressing the Ripken way, you're not just talking about baseball. You're talking about if you play another sport, academics, uh, the way you behave. I mean, is that, is that safe to say? Exactly. And, and that, that's the main thing. And I hope I got that point across because look, the, when everyone hears Ripken way, it is when you hear the name Ripken, you think baseball, you know, there's no secret to that, but what I've enjoyed or what I've experienced with my family like I said, it is a mindset. It's a way of life. It's how you go about your business, your work. It's the pride you take in it. And it doesn't take playing a sport, which obviously this is where it all starts to where the, the vision of that came about. But you can do that in anything in life. And, and it really does uh, pay dividends. Um, personally, at least I'd like to think. And, and you have siblings. I mean, talk about your siblings a little bit. How have they embodied this philosophy and what they do now in life? So I have an older sister. Uh, she's, I guess she is my, my big sister. Uh, and she is one of the hardest workers I know. And ever since we were in, I guess I was in middle school and she got her first job actually just helping out at, at up in Aberdeen at uh, the Ripken Experience up there. She just was then addicted to working hard and putting in the hours. And now she lives out in Colorado and works for the university out there for, uh, for CU. And she just puts her head down and, and goes to work. And that's, you know, she doesn't, she didn't look for anything flashy. She wanted to do her job and try to do her job the best way and then have fun when, when the, the right times approach. But she's definitely embodied that. And, and for me, it's been an inspiration to see, you know, my big sister going out there and setting a great example. That's great. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say family, um, you know, obviously know your dad and, um, you know, I love running into him in places like Cooperstown on the back porch, the veranda. He all of a sudden he starts talking, hitting and before you know it, he's moving white, the white rocking chairs out of the way so he can demonstrate something. Uh, you know, and, and you, you obviously grew up with that and, and I'm sure some great experiences going places, but before I get to any of that, what, what, what's your best uncle Billy story? Cause uh, Billy's, Billy's a great guy too. And, uh, having an uncle like that must've been pretty fun. Oh, uh, Bill, uncle Bill is, uh, he, he's one of a kind. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if there's any specific story that can really, you know, paint a bigger picture. What I will say, which makes him so great as a MLB network analyst is what yes. you're seeing on TV. That's him. That, that is a hundred percent him through and through. He's authentic. 
He he gives it to you straight. He knows how to work things in and he's and he's not going to sugarcoat anything. And that's what's made him had success because people can look at that and see that he's just up there. He loves the game of baseball, but you know, he is a goof deep down. And um but he is one he is one of the most knowledgeable people in the sport of baseball that I have ever been around and um he's been a great a great resource and a great person to uh, to learn from. Well, I'm glad you brought that point up because I, I I've been I I I discuss this all the time, and I want people to understand it. When you're playing baseball, you got to have fun, you know, and you got to have. It's okay to have be goofy here and there, especially uh, you know you got to play seriously. I get it, but there's too much going on in the game where if you stay, if you stay. You know, if you stay locked in all the time, you might burn yourself out. Now, your dad was able to do that. I mean, he, you know, he stayed locked in. But the importance of playing the game and maybe just uh, enjoying the game, uh, you know, you came with some baggage because you had the name, but obviously you had fun playing the game. What, what, what would you do to make it more fun and, and the kind of experiences that you had? Well, you know, that was a tough thing for me when I got into – Actually, even when I was younger, getting into pro ball, I felt like I had to be so serious because honestly, the reason why I played the game, obviously you love the game. It's, it's, it's a joy to play. That's why you're doing it. But also, you know, growing up, it was every time I went out there, I wanted to win, you know, then you get into professional baseball and that mindset changes a little bit because the, it's about development and not always if your team performs, it's more individual. So that part was different. And when personally, I got, I put more pressure on myself and that wasn't good. And actually until I, I got let go by the nationals and picked up by the Orioles, you know, my mindset changed and realized that, you know, baseball is hard and it is, uh, it is filled with failures. As we know, I think it's the only sport, you know, I can't even, I've gone through this all the time. I know hitting a golf ball is extremely hard. I think personally hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do. And you are considered a Hall of Fame player if you fail 70% of the time at the plate. And so to get used to that failure all the time can make you more or can can really make it challenging. But the more you get used to it, uh, the better you realize that um, you are still playing a child's game. You're going out there to have fun with friends. And um, that's something that uh, I'm glad that my mindset changed as it went on, but it definitely, uh, I definitely was not a, uh, I was not perfect in those situations. I wish I said I was. Yeah. The, and the, how would you, when you made the change, what, what were some of the, um, things you did to make, you know, kind of like to, did you move forward? Like say, just say you struck out, uh, you know, you, you learn from your bat, but do you move forward to get mentally next time? What, what was your mental preparation to kind of not, not destroy yourself internally and just become a better player. Well, you know, I think sometimes we don't stay in the present moment. You know, okay. you're thinking about before and you're thinking about what just what happened maybe in the at-bat before and then what you have to do next time where then you feel the stress build up. And, you know, personally for me, I felt that I worried if I didn't play well, you know, am I, am I not going to play? Am I, you know, are they going to evaluate me differently? So you're, you're thinking of external factors. So when I got released by the nationals and I came to the Orioles, 
it, you know, it dawned on me that, you know, my opportunities for baseball might be coming to an end. And when I had a chance to sign with the Orioles, I really tried to take a step back and realize, Hey, you know, you don't know how long, or I don't know how long I'm going to play. But the thing I do know is I, I, if I get to play today, I'm going to cherish this moment. I'm going to stay as present as possible. And so I changed the mindset of take it one bat at a time. And then after the game, I started journaling a lot. I started journaling about every single at bat. And and I tried to focus on what went well in each at bat. So I, I would document every single pitch, what pitch it was, what the count was, and then how I felt at the plate and what the result was. And if, if I went 0 for 4, I tried to find the positive of that day. Sometimes uh, right at the bottom, it'd be a final take, you know, had two good at bats, just no luck. Or, hey, there's always, there's tomorrow's a new day, start fresh. And um, so the mindset started to change. And then one coach specifically, Tim Raines Jr., actually was my hitting coach when I got to the Orioles. And I felt so bad mechanically. And he came up to me and said, Hey, I know you're going to work on some stuff in the off season. He goes, but we're not going to talk about that. He goes, I just want you to go up there with a plan. And if your plan and you're right with your plan and you don't have the result, mark that as a positive because he goes, I'm going to show you that your mindset's going to help you get past all this mechanical difficulties. And you know what? He was right. And I actually, I think I ended up hitting, you know, 287, 290 that year. And I felt the worst that I ever did mechanically. So it just goes to show that your mind can really uh, greatly impact your performance far more than all the mechanical things that go into baseball. uh, Before I let Dave go back to it, um, I I just want to bring this point up uh, because you make such great points there. And again, we have so many young listeners and and that's why it's important that they hear this information. You you can't be perfect and, and things like that. But I always said, you know, I'm pretty lucky in my career. I cover some great guys on a daily basis. Tony Gwynn, you know, Jeter, Piazza, all those guys. And um, and many Hall of Famers and, and many just great players. But I always said the brilliance of Derek Jeter was his ability to live in the present. And, and I don't think there's no more present game than baseball because you can have all the research, all the background information, and then all of a sudden that pitch, that pitcher may decide to do something differently that he hasn't done. So you have to living in the moment to me in baseball is what made Jeter great. And is, I think, one of the secret ingredients that people really don't quite understand. I a thousand percent agree with you. And, and that's the thing. It's it's everyone's always thinking about what happened before, what happens next. Or if, you know, for hitting, if you're looking at there's more scouting reports now. You know, you're looking at so much, well, what what do they throw consistently in these counts? But really, you got to watch what's going on in the game and how they're pitching certain guys. And as we know, sometimes pitchers or even hitters, sometimes you're not feeling as good this day with a specific pitch or a hitter might feel off and and his swing's really long. So there's a lot of things that change on the day-to-day basis. And also for your own peace of mind, the more you can stay present, the more you're going to find yourself relaxing. And, and being able to focus on a, the, a specific thing. I feel like most guys, and this is just coming from my experience, I made more mistakes and I felt myself more anxious and stressed if I didn't stay locked in on the present thing that was going on, whether I was in the batter's box or in the field. 
You know, the, the most important thing is that pitch, what's going on in that moment. And if you're thinking about anything else, you're really hindering the opportunity to, to put your best foot forward in that moment. Yeah, that's well said. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, and no, I, I, I want to play off something that Kevin uh, dove into where you talked about mechanically you felt off, but Tim Range Jr. helped you with your approach. Uh, dive a little deeper for that because some of the things that we're encountering, and I've been asked this too as a former professional player, how many hitting lessons did I take? And I took zero. Um, I was more in tune with my approach. And these kids nowadays are in search of the perfect swing and it doesn't exist. Talk about your approach that, that you developed with Tim Range Jr. And then maybe a message to the kids on in search of that perfect swing because it's probably not out there. No, well, and that, you know, that's the beauty of the game of baseball is you look at how many, how many different players have different triggers to get themselves going in their swing, you know, and no one's swing is the same. That's the beauty of the game. Everyone has, has different points that resonate with their mind. But the biggest thing, no matter what is everyone has to deal with failure. Everyone has to deal with the internal struggles. So not only are you battling yourself, you have to go out there and, and battle the pitcher. And if you're pitching, you also have internal conflicts of, you know, maybe having conviction with what you want to throw and all those thoughts. That's a mindset. You know, there's only so much your mechanics are going to help you with. And so with Tim Raines Jr., you know, I actually didn't feel comfortable. I didn't know how to really sit on breaking balls and I couldn't stay back long enough. And that was one of the things there. He said, Hey, you know, um, have a game plan. He's like, well, what do you think they're going to throw you? And I go, well, I think they're going to, you know, if they're going to, he's definitely going to throw me curveballs. He goes, well, why don't you just sit on a curveball the entire at bat? And actually it was specifically, it was the first, first time I, I did this. Uh, one, I switched to a bigger bat because he told me again, he goes, you're a big guy. It's all in your head. So I switched to use a bigger bat. And then he told me, stick to your plan. If you want, if you think he's going to throw you a curveball, don't swing in anything else. Wait for that curveball. So what happened? I took two fastballs right down the middle and I'm down 0-2. And I went, well, this is just great. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm, I'm ready to kind of curse out reins. And then, but I just remembered, okay, stick to the plan. And I'm still anxious and you, and until it works, you're going to be anxious. But what happened? 0-2 pitch. He, the pitcher hung it just enough. And I blasted a ball off the right center field wall for a double. And I went and I'm standing on second base and just went like, you know, what, what just happened? You know, did I really just do that? And I, and then I got more comfortable being in two strike counts. I got more comfortable being selective at the plate. And those are things that your swing's not going to help you with. That's something you got to get, you got to get over with, um, you know, mentally. And last thing I'll say with that, I found that there are so many talented players moving forward. But sometimes the most talented players don't make it to the big leagues. And it's not because it's a talent problem. It's because that they couldn't fully put it together mentally to help to help strengthen those talents to help them be a consistent ball player. I think it's a great message to kids because, yeah, you see baseball players in all shapes and sizes. And just so the audience gets a visual, when you're talking about mechanics, Ryan, you're six foot six, correct? Left-handed yep. or left-handed, left-handed thrower, left-handed hitter. So. There's a lot of moving parts that could happen there. What, what about all the, um, the information that, you know, the, the input that's provided to players? Uh, and when I played, we didn't have that. It was the eyes and you had to rely on the eyes for the most part. 
Um, nowadays, they're, they're cramming you with information in the dugout um, almost real time. How did you handle that as a player? I think, I think it's you have to figure out what works best for you. I will say I did like to know the tendencies. When you start to face a pitcher and you've seen them a couple times, that to me was the biggest uh, telling sign because then you remembered how they specifically pitched you. But if you didn't know them, it was great to know certain tendencies. But then after that first at bat, say it was a starting pitcher, you know, and I knew I was going to see him another time or maybe a third, you know, I was going to look at how he pitched me the first at bat and then continue then to focus on specifically how, how he's throwing me that game. So then I'll, then I'll take out all the other analytics because, you know, to me, if the, if the pitcher's smart in that case, he's going to go and pitch the way that he thinks is best going to get me out that day. So that, that's where I think you have to draw the line, but I will say some guys rely so much on it and they go, well, wait a minute, what, what, what's he throwing? You know, I, I need to know this. So there, there's a fine line of being too attached to it and finding out what works for you. I like that as well. I, uh, in, in doing the research of your background, you know, I think every kid that grew up watching, watching your dad play visualizes that you woke up in the morning every day and you're playing catch with Cal Ripken and, and, uh, but that's not the case. I mean, he's, he's playing 162 games a year for two decades. You had a special moment in your career. I, I'd like you to share with your audience. Cause we have a lot of dads and sons and moms and sons that listen to the show where when you got signed with the Orioles, I believe you got invited to the big league camp at, at the point in time and you got to spend some time with dad working on the game. Yeah. So I, um, I had some time or in 2021 was down there and, and got into a few games and, and I had been over to a couple to back up some, some spring training games, but the coolest thing for the moment, at least as far as with my dad and I was the last few years, him and I got to, work together in the off season. And that was time that throughout my life, we didn't have as much when he played, obviously he was busy. And then after his career, he still traveled quite a bit because he had his business and his appearances. So it wasn't consistent. And then it felt like when COVID happened, it kind of shut everything down where him and I could work together on a weekly basis or daily basis. And we were together four or five days uh, a week. And that's something as awesome as it was to hear his perspective as a player and to work on things. The cooler thing is being able to, to spend time with your dad. And honestly, moving forward in, in life and in anything you do, and, and I love the game of baseball, but everything that I did, it wouldn't have mattered if it wasn't for the people that I experienced all this with along the journey. So that's something that's, that's probably the most reflective thing that I have noticed is that the game is fun, but the people that, that you go through it with uh, make this moment, make the moments and the game so special. But that's, that, <clears throat> that, that, that's a great description. And I think that gets lost in the big picture. And I think that's why you see certain teams r- rise above. I mean, the Phillies clearly are, an example of that, they, they, they enjoy each other's company and, and they're playing well. And the Astros too. I mean, they wouldn't be there without it. I mean, they're just a phenomenal team and, and, and different parts get moved in there. Um, your knowledge of the game, I mean, people are lucky to hear, hear you speak about the game on, on this podcast, but your knowledge is so uh, 
it, it's very deep and um, from both ends, you know, because obviously Hall of Fame dad, your career. What 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 exactly, you know, uh, what kind what kind of projects are you working on now, moving forward to kind of disseminate the knowledge you have and, and what you, what 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 you what you're going to do with your life now. So I'm going to be more involved, I think, in a, in a sports media sense. And, you know, I, I'm trying to cover other sports just not to because I don't love baseball. It's just so when you hear Ripken, you feel like you're going to get pigeonholed just to talking about baseball. And, right. and I feel I've played other sports growing up. I I study and watch a lot. I mean, even for this case, you know, I've, I've been a Ravens fan my whole life. I've been going to to games since I was, uh, you know, since 96 when the Ravens came back into Baltimore. And then I pay close attention, but also I do love baseball and I'm going to continue to talk about baseball. And there's a, a few groups that I'm working on to do some possible work with promoting a product, talking about lessons. And then even on my own platform, uh, I'm going to open it up to even discuss, you know, I, I, I asked uh, the people that follow me, if you have specific questions, I would gladly answer. And, and dive into more questions that, that people have. So hopefully you're going to see this evolution of, of me being able to dissect uh, broad questions as well as uh, specific for whoever would like to hear. Well, in my career, I've been lucky because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm mainly known as a baseball writer and, I, and that's my forte. But um, I also covered many years of NFL football. I came right out of college covering NFL and the Giants. Um, I covered the Chargers uh, '94 when they went to the Super Bowl. I covered the NBA uh, many years, the Jordan years, the Bird Magic years, and it's kind of a joke on the show. But uh, you know, if you watch the uh, Last Dance, you'll see me there, and you also see me on Jeter's The Captain. So I'm one of the few guys that's been in both those shows. Uh, but the the whole the whole idea of uh, and I love the fact that I covered different sports, and and I know exactly what you're saying because. Because the sport may change a little bit, and you being a Ravens fan, growing up seeing it, you know, you know, right in your own backyard, uh, it, it's great to to bring the the, the baseball perspective in other sports because uh, it, it's fun just to relax and talk about something else. <laughs> uh, absolutely, and I mean, and the thing too is is that look, we're all I, for most cases. I know there's more people are specializing in in specific, you know whether it's a specific business or you grow up and you only are sports specifying in, in one sport, but for everyone, for the majority, you know, it's, it's healthy to compare. And it's also great to see uh, the comparisons over the leagues. And even for me now, you know, being a former baseball player, I really now even look into how the behind the scenes and the training goes into other uh, athletes and other sports you know, and a lot of the other issues that are hands. So it really kind of does come full circle. And, and I've really enjoyed also, I feel like I learn a lot by watching other sports too. So it's been really exciting to do that. And, and I'm excited to continue to, uh, you know, enhance my own knowledge by, by broadening my horizons. Speaking, of, I might ask you a Ravens question, you know, they, they, you know, that their quarterback is phenomenal. Um, that seems to be an organization and does it come from the coach that just seems to find a way and they always seem to, in, in many ways, cause I, you know, I, I've seen them with Super Bowls and everything else, but uh, they, they seem to be an organization that, um, 
kind of pins itself as an underdog all the time mentally to get the upper hand a little bit. Is, am I am I off there, or is that just uh, an outsider seeing what's going on? Well, they have great stability, and I think mm-hmm. at, in any sport, you, that's something that can go across all, all all platforms. There is that stability from the top makes a difference, and, and for the Ravens, they have a great structure. Uh, they and they've they've resonate with the city a lot because they want to have guys that want to work hard. They find great value in and later in the draft, so players feel that desire to go out there and prove themselves. So I think that's where that more underdog component comes in. And even for the quarterback with Lamar Jackson, he was, a lot of people didn't view him as being a quarterback and he had to prove people wrong on a consistent basis. And still to this day, you know, he's trying to get a new contract, but people are still doubting if he has what it takes to, you know, win those big games and and win a Super Bowl. But, you know, the cool thing of looking at that, and that's where I can say this can branch over. How many times in life are things that you do that someone doubts you? You know, that someone is going to tell you, I don't think you're good enough. And so that's great to see with the Ravens. And if and whoever, whether you like the Ravens or not, Lamar Jackson's story of someone saying, you can't play quarterback. And he goes, I'll go and show you. That should be a testament to what any player in anything or profession should do is, have the mindset that I'm going to prove you wrong. That's that's key. And and another great thing I think he has said is, um, you know, he wants you know he he wants to bring championships to Baltimore, multiple kind of like a Brady thing, and and would be willing to take less money for that. And because uh, uh, you know, you it seems to me you're either the highest paid quarterback in the NFL or you're a quarterback that isn't the highest pay, but wins championships. So his mindset seems to be right as well. And, and you being right there in, in Fells Point, knowing uh, what that's all about. Uh, how, how beloved is he in, in, in the Baltimore area? Oh, everyone wants him. And and definitely people are afraid that he'll leave Baltimore if, if a contract's not, you know, figured out. And, but that that's the, that's the great thing. It's that, you know, people feel that they can, they can understand where Lamar is coming from. And, and, and honestly, I just, I just love the story and, and you can see on the field, you can see his passion, everyone, the thing that you want in life, I feel in general is to be considered a hard worker and be liked by the ones around you for how you go about your business and the passion you have. And, and Lamar does all of that, which is really exciting. And now, uh, now Ravens fans and, and, you know, everyone in Baltimore is now just hoping you know, the, the Ravens have the right formula and success to, to see all those things, you know, come to fruition. Well, I, I love, just as Kevin said, I love watching the Ravens because you, you chronicle them as a, a, uh, I don't know if we'd lost Dave here. Yeah. Sounds like we lost Dave for a few minutes. So the, uh, the, uh, let's just keep going with this too. I, I've always been curious because again, when I talk to Cal, He's so uh, he's so um, interesting as somebody. Is he a football fan? Oh yeah, he he's a big sports fan in general, and you know that that's where you know my 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 love for sports. My, both my parents uh, were were very big on me doing multiple sports, and because they they thought that it would help one my athletic skills, but two you get an understanding of of how things work and. Uh, you know, my dad actually was a big basketball guy. You, you know, I don't know if the stories people have heard, you know, oh, yeah. that, 
So that's basketball time, uh, right? Like during the week, basically, right? That that was what you know he negotiated into his contract, and he would play some very competitive pickup basketball games that I actually had a chance to jump in and play as I got older, and that was actually a great thing. It was funny, you know. I I joined probably when I was thirteen, fourteen, and probably some of the guys took a took it a little easy on me, and then all of a sudden I was feeling pretty good about myself, and. All of a sudden, a player that played overseas in Europe uh, matched up with me, and I felt like, oh, this will be a good test, and he just (laughs) smoked me. And that reminded me once again, um, right when you think that that things are going well, there's going to be someone out there that's going to remind you that you can be better. And uh, I'm grateful for that, but in the moment, I was uh, was pretty embarrassed. (laughs) Well, and again, that's 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 the lessons of, uh, you know, sports. And that's why they're so great. Have you had a chance to through the years? um, You know, obviously, you're trying to get your own career going. But what and you mentioned Tim Raines Jr. And I was going to mention at the time. But it's interesting to me that a son of a a former major league, a great, great player, obviously, and yourself, they love to teach the game. Do you do you like to teach the game in any capacity? Do you try to continue that that way? Uh, yeah, I definitely have an interest in it. Right now, I'm I'm just taking a step back from, you know, some of the coaching aspects, just because I want to explore life more outside of baseball. And that doesn't mean that I won't, you know, can continue to have teaching points. But I, I do love that. And, and I love what, what Tim Raines Jr. brought because he brought his own experiences mm. and also then brought his own personality and how he interprets it. And so that was really cool. And that's where we both could could uh, connect was hearing stories that he grew up with and then talk about his own experiences. And we had a lot of things that we could relate to. And so hopefully down the road, you know, that, that, that could be an Avenue, but for now uh, I want to take a little time to, to see what, what life's going to be outside of the whole baseball coaching and, and that schedule. Well, that's understandable because, Ryan Ripken, you you you've lived your whole life around baseball, so it's it's nice to experience some things outside of baseball as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's I, I thought about it. My dad retired when I was eight, and I had about ten years of of just going about being a kid and not traveling to ballparks anymore. And then turn eighteen, doing summer ball, go to college, and then right in the pro ball. So the majority of my life, right, has been consumed by the game, and there's no regrets there. But there definitely is a lot more things that that are offered in life. And and I know, and again, this is coming from someone now that my career has come to an end. You do reflect on this window of time is short. Mm. And but there is so much the, the, the positive, if you feel negative about that or, or people are worrying, I'd like to say that there's a lot of exciting chapters that you get to explore and, and that, that sometimes the grass could be greener and, and you could find a new passion that that's something that that you never would have thought of, you know, when you were a kid or or when you finally get to the point that I'm at. Well, that's good advice for everybody in life, really. Don't, you know, kind of expand yourself whenever you can. And you just said something, too, that uh, I want to touch on, because part of the you know fun of being in this business for 40 some years decades and decades and decades and generations and generations. I, I got to hang out in clubhouses when 
to be quite frank, when clubhouses were more fun, you know, guys were more fun. They were more loose. They talk. Uh, we, we had I had great relationships with fellows. And uh, but a lot of them would bring their kids in, too. And, um, you know, so I was there when, uh, you know, and as coaches, I remember, you know, uh, being with the Padres and and and, and, and seeing uh, the young Alomars and through the years, different players, uh, you know, uh, the eight-year-old kids coming through, uh, Tony Gwynn Jr. coming through, and uh, he was the same age as my son, my uh, oldest son, so they, they could hang out here and there. What was the experience of being a kid in a clubhouse, and, and what kind of friendships did you forge uh, in that time? Well, it, it, it is, uh, it's pretty funny that <laughs> you brought that up. Clubhouses are def- definitely have a different feel than they did back then, and also being a young kid, you know, you, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to learn, you know, what life's all about. And I actually thought growing up in a clubhouse and going to ballparks, like that was the normal thing to do. Everyone's, exactly. everyone's uh, dad plays baseball, yeah. you know, yeah. and th- you figure that out quickly, but you know, I got to meet some great people and some, some lifelong friends of other players or staff members that are, uh, that were around my same age. You got to be in there for those experiences and, and also I got to see some guys, you know, go about their business. And at the time you didn't realize that, you know, what, what that looked like. But when you look back, you go, man, that was, I, I see why they did that or, or why mm-hmm. someone took more time to, you know, if it was focusing on a certain drill or getting more, uh, making sure that their body was ready to go out and play every day. But also there was a looseness. There was a lot of joking around and, and they made me feel like one of the guys. So that was something as I moved forward of of making, I, I wanted to have that same feeling that they gave me of making you feel included, make make other people feel comfortable, and um, and and above all, it's it, it's okay to be a goof, and uh, <laughs> uh, but you know be careful with how goofy you are at, at certain times. Yeah, you got to draw a line, and um, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things I love to when I talk to players and stuff like that, and, and this could be in a minor league clubhouse anywhere, um, but uh, one of the great stories I, I will share with everybody is um, I was talking to a minor league player once and I asked him about the best prank he ever saw. And it, it was in, in the minor leagues and uh, with, I think, Easy Eddie Gudero was as a reliever. Uh, with the twins, you know, he he mm-hmm. had a, he he was in a minor league assignment, a rehab type thing, for a couple of weeks, and um, you know, he had his thing where it, you know a certain hour, I think it was four o'clock, that you know that that hot tub or whatever that the whirlpool bath belonged to him, and everybody knew that, and he had some, uh, you know, he he was a major league veteran, so he had uh, he had pull, so. So he's in it every day at that hour, and all of a sudden, this young kid comes in, you know, another kid gets promoted all of a sudden he's taking his time in the hot tub. So, um, this goes on for a day or two and, and Eddie kind of makes a note to him, like, you know, you might want to not do this. Uh, and the kid just, uh, you know, no respect. So this is where you're pouring about crossing the line. The next day, um, the other players see Eddie walk in with a big, uh, burlap bag. <laughs> and now he, and the kid is already in the world whirlpool bath. Uh, the kid pitcher and uh, Eddie walks up, disposes the uh, contents of the bag into the whirlpool, the hot whirlpool. And it was about 15 lobsters. 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a great prank. And, uh, you know, that kid never moved so fast and he learned his lesson. So there is that certain, uh, uh, the code of the clubhouse that you witnessed from an early age on as well, I'm sure. Absolutely. There is definitely a code and, and think the, the do's and don'ts that, that uh, those things have not changed over time. There is a, a code <laughs> to go by and, and a brotherhood that, 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 that stays and is instilled still today. Well, uh, Ryan, you've done a great job with us, and always we always end with this last question. And take take your time with answering it because it's 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 a simple question, but it's also different pe- people see it differently, and I think that's what makes it so great. We've we've gotten some amazing answers on it and uh, and things like that. But um, to you, what does it mean to be a ball player? And like I said, you you don't have to rush through the answer. Give yourself a second to think about it. We're, we're in no uh, we have no time restraints here, but to you, Ryan Ripken, what does it mean to be a ball player? To be a ball player, to me, being a ball player is having passion about something that you love. To to go out there and do something that, as a kid, you went out there because you loved it. It was a dream to go out there and, and to play the game. And at the end of the day like I was saying that, that the whole experience is you learn so much, not just about how to be a better player, but you learn so much about yourself, mm. how you conduct yourself, how you handle adversity, what, how to deal with failure. You know, those are all components that for me go into being a ball player. And honestly, right now, there are so many things that I look back and wish that I could change. I think we all do in life that there's things that you wish you can do. But the thing is you learn from it and you can reflect on how that formed you into the person. So a ball player to me is embodied with the person I became today. And it's a part of the, it, it, to me, it's, it's a part of the journey of, you know, for me of, of becoming this Ryan Ripken. And that's something, and it's funny, I, I, I can go back and look at from one of my T-ball days to my, you know, final at bat last year of where I've come. And so I just hope that for players or for anyone that's enjoyed the game of baseball or anything that you do, really relish and reflect on, on what, that's, what, that, what that game has made you into today. So that's, that's all I have on that. And, and, um, I hope in the process you can thank and respect all the people that helped you on the way, because like I said, in life in general too, life and the game that we play, it doesn't matter without the people that are along the ride with you to, to, um, enjoy those moments. Well, well, that's a phenomenal answer. Answer. I think you, you, you literally touched all the bases and, and really, being a ball player is a lot like you know living life. I mean, I think it helps you along those lines, and and you did it so well. I, we can't appreciate, uh, we can't say how much we appreciated you having you on the show. I mean, what we're closing in on forty five minutes. They flew by. That's that's our time limit. We never want to hold anybody longer than that. But uh, Ryan Ripken, phenomenal job. Real voices of the game, episode number seventy five, I believe. We're, we're kind of moving along here. And, and again, we want our, 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 our young people and, and anybody who loves baseball to understand 
it's not just about the game itself. It's about the people who play the game, the people who help those who play the game. And I think that was my favorite thing of this whole uh, interview here is that, uh, you know, you, you, you come across as someone who understands really what it's all about. And uh, I'm sure your dad and your uncle are proud. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, it's baseball royalty. And uh, again, all those times spent with you, you know, you know, I, I was up at the Cooperstown at the Hall of Fame uh, when, when, when your dad and Tony got in that year, a magical year. I'm sure you enjoyed that moment. That must have been something for, for you as a family. And uh, just just uh, maybe before we leave, just I, sh- I just touch on that a little bit, that that whole Cooperstown uh, experience. Well, I haven't been back to Cooperstown since, you know, that was a very special moment for yep. Yep. for my family. It's something that I will always cherish. And and like I said, I mean, you look at all those guys that go into the Hall of Fame and if you listen to their speeches, they understand that they didn't do this alone. Whatever you do you always have other people that are there to help you, but just remember to give thanks to those people because through the good and the bad, they've helped you out. And those people, you know, and I, I know with my dad, he knows he wouldn't have been to the places that he, he got to if it wasn't for them. So be sure to thank all those friends and family and those supporters through, through the thick and thin. Fantastic. Ryan, again, thanks so much. And, uh, We'll have you on again down the road, but uh, I think if anybody really listens to this, they're going to learn a lot about what the Ripken family is all about. Thanks again, and everybody, we'll see you on the next show. I think we got one coming up tomorrow, so uh, take care from Real Voices of the Game. 